0: But if you have your Bibles, I do hope to help and encourage you and want you to join me in Galatians chapter 5. The verses that we're going to begin studying are certainly familiar to you. If I could preach one message and only one message to the world, it would be the gospel. But if I were to preach one message and only one message to believers it would probably be this one. And I don't mean that because I will excel in how it is articulated or delivered, but the content of this message, in my estimation, kind of coalesces all of the teaching of the New Testament into one word. And that one word is love. This chapter, Galatians 5, is about walking out our Christianity, spiritually speaking, showing the world that we are Christ. There is so much pressure in our lives to move beyond being a Christian to being Christian people. I have sensed, and I'm certain that you have as well, there is pressure to check different boxes for different people so that they can sense that we are quote-unquote really Christian. Christian, really their kind of Christian. I found the problem with checking boxes like that, just like ingredients in a product. Everyone seems to have a different set of boxes to check. They want us to have all the ingredients they think are important if we're really going to be a fitting product or a product that they would buy. And every one of us senses that pressure because we seek acceptance. Like it or not, we seek to be accepted. And let me establish from the onset what this passage of Scripture is teaching us. The believer has not been accepted by God because he deserves it. Has not been accepted by God because he's kept enough laws to win the approval of God. The believer has been accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we stand before God, we're not there because we've earned it. We're not there because we've kept laws or behaved in a certain way. We are there because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer under law. Life under the law was punitive. Life under the law was miserable. But we have freedom in Christ. We have liberty to use a Bible word. We are under grace. So a question begins to sound out in our minds. Does that mean if I am not under law and I am free in Christ and I live under grace, that I can do whatever it is I want to do? Can I just sin and get away with it? And the answer is no. There is an ingredient list, as it were, for us to check. But it is not of work or of our effort. It is simply bearing out the fruit of God's nature. The fruit of God's Spirit. And here is that list that should be evident in our lives. Galatians 5, I'll direct your attention to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, plural, the fruit of the Spirit. Here is the evidence of the Spirit. Love, joy peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. We would grasp that a dead, dried-up branch would not produce fruit. But according to the biblical analogy, if a branch... Is healthily attached to the vine, the branch will produce the fruit that the vine produces. Jesus in John chapter 15 is using this analogy. In John 15:5, Jesus says explicitly, I am the vine. Ye believers are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. As we study this list in Galatians 5, and 23, grasp that I am not exhorting you to do some work. Understand that I am imploring you to abide in Christ. In fact, ten times in the first ten verses of John chapter 15, that word abide is used. What it is conveying is this. When our lives are totally committed to God. And we're determined to obey Him. To submit to His mandates. We will bear the fruit of Christ. Because He is the vine. It is the right fruit. This is what your life and my life should look like. Submissive to. Yielding to. Under the influence of the Spirit of God. One author said this. It is our responsibility to choose not to walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. As the spiritual person exercises his choice to live in the Spirit, his life bears the fruit of the Spirit. This is not a work that we do, it's a fruit that we bear. A machine in a factory can produce a product, but it cannot bear fruit. We as believers are not being exhorted to love. We are being exhorted to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is inherently love. The fruit of the Spirit begins, the primary position, the pole position is that of love. It's all through the New Testament. You cannot escape it. Jesus himself said, this is the distinguishing characteristic that will allow the world to know that you are in the family, that you are one of my disciples, that you belong to me. It will be how you love each other. In fact, the New Testament tells us God is love. So in Christ... We have access, we are connected to the greatest love, the absolute source of pure love. If we walk in fellowship with Christ, in submission to the Spirit, we cannot help but be reminded how to love people with our words and our deeds and our actions. Without Christ, it is impossible to love people this way. So I'm not saying change your personality. I'm not saying erase your background. I'm saying abide in Christ. For without abiding in Christ, you cannot produce this kind of love. It's first in the list because according to 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest. This is a new way of life, the Apostle Paul says. It is part of the new nature. It is part of the new man that you become in Christ. It's how we are distinguished as being in the family. This is essential. And let me tell you something. Love like this is not natural. Love like this is not natural. It's going to be so challenging to distinguish as I work through the fruits of the Spirit to keep in front of you that I'm not begging you to love. I'm showing you love and asking, is it evidenced in your life? And if it's not, it's indicative of the fact that you're not yielding to the Spirit. We have to understand what it is, and we have to bear this fruit. But I'm saying to you, it's not natural. Do you understand? Scripture never presumes that we know how to love like Christ loves. But over and over again, it instructs us to love. tells us why we are to love. John... The beloved disciple wrote on love oftentimes. This was the content of many conversations between he and Jesus. Among many of his verses on love, we'll begin to pick up on this pattern in the New Testament. Just listen to a few excerpts from John's writing. First John 3.11 This is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Three verses later. We know that we have passed from death unto life. We know that we have been quickened by the Spirit, that we are saved. How do we know that we are saved? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Four verses later, my little children, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Five verses after that. This is His, that is Jesus' commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. In chapter 4, and we have known And believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. In his next letter he says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. The scripture does not presume that we know how to love. It explains to us this love. It presses us toward this kind of love. It explains why we should. It's not natural. This is not a product of your personality. Some people are more affable than others. Some people are like me. They're just huggers. Super warm individuals. I'm not saying this is a product of who you are, of your background, or of your personality. Love like this is not natural. Love like this is intentional. Love like this is purposeful. Love like this is an act of intellect which places value on the beloved. Even though that individual may be undeserving or unattractive or unable to return that love in kind, it is an intentional choice of the will to place value on the beloved. I love because Christ is in me. This is the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Ask yourself this, how attractive was the world when it received that love of God? Well, not at all. How worthy was the world of the pure love of God? Well, not at all. How capable was the world in its state to give that love back to God? Not at all. We love Him, the Bible says, because He first loved us. We must love even when we see no results. This is true love. And we've neglected this as believers. I think that one of the great reasons the gospel message is impotent in our world is because we have shown the world that the gospel is impractical. We don't live it out as we should. One author wrote this. I thought it was intriguing. I have never known a time when Christians have been madder about more things than we are now. We're angry, he wrote, about values, politics, media, education, and criminals. This anger has given a rise to a warrior instinct in the body of Christ that has left us with a radical profile. We're shouting more. Publicly, we are perceived to be long on madness and short on mercy, to be more committed to our consternation than we are to compassion. That's a fact. It's a natural reaction. It's part of our old nature, but the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. This love is not natural. It is intentional. John reminds us we are to love one another. And then he tells us that love is of God. And Peter tells us that love can cover a multitude of sins. This is how we show the world we belong to Jesus. Now how can we test ourselves to see whether or not it is practically in us? It would be wonderful if the scripture gave us a primer on Christ's love. And we have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is love. Love is. Here the apostle Paul defines it for us. After telling us it doesn't matter if you give everything that you have. Materially speaking to the cause. It doesn't matter if you can articulate eloquent thoughts. It doesn't matter even if you give your body up to be sacrificed or burned. If you do all of that and love is not a part of it, it's worth nothing. But love's the greatest thing. And then he describes it to us so clearly. And as we work through 1 Corinthians 13, which could probably be revisited quarterly, we can assess whether or not we are walking in the Spirit or not. He says, charity suffereth long. This is what love like Jesus looks like. It suffers long. In other words, it takes a long time to burst into flame. It's interesting to me that the first evidence of true love is patience. It's long-suffering. It's the way love acts towards unloving people. It empties itself. The world would say, don't get mad, get even. But in Christ, we have this new motto, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Chrysostom said of that word, patience, it describes a man who has been wronged, has the power to avenge himself, but will not do it that's challenging. I have been wronged. I have it in my power to write it, and I choose not to do it. That's the long-suffering love. The only way to exhibit this is to surrender to the Spirit of God, to bear this as a fruit of the Spirit, to be long-suffering. Then he says, love is kind. Love is kind. In other words, patience can put up with anything. Kindness will give anything away. It is possible for me to be patient with unlovable people and not be kind. But the Bible does not let me stop at just being patient. It implores me to go beyond patience and to actively be kind. And man, that's tough. If I don't like you, I can avoid you. And I can even convince myself in avoiding you that I am exercising patience and I can pat myself on the back and declare how spiritual and how righteous I am because true love is long-suffering. But the Bible doesn't say just be long-suffering. It says be kind. Jesus taught the disciples that. Love your enemies. He didn't simply mean... Feel kindly about them. He literally meant be kind to them. Demonstrate kindness to someone you don't know. Or don't feel kindly toward. That's why I say this isn't natural. This is intentional. Because if I have to wait to feel kind towards people, I think I will be waiting a very long time. I must surrender to the Spirit and decisively act kindly. Love does not envy. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us. Jealousy at the deepest, most corrupt, darkest, and destructive level. That's not how love behaves itself. This is the kind of envy that Cain had over Abel's sacrifice being accepted by God. And so enraged by his jealousy was he that he murdered his brother. This is the kind of envy that the other leaders had in Babylon when Daniel was promoted and they concocted a terrible plan to put him to death as it were. This is Joseph's brothers who see him gain a position, hate him so much they sell him off into slavery. This was the chief priests and the scribes taking Jesus and turning him over to the Roman government and Pilate himself understands it was for envy that they did this. They could not stand to see somebody else gain prominence or position and true love doesn't act that way. True love is demonstrated when you and I are glad that another person gets something that they want and that we don't have. That is ugliness at peak level when we're jealous like that. True love then is contentment ultimately with what God has given us. True love doesn't boast. True love doesn't go around shining a spotlight on itself is not the content of its own conversations. I love what one said. The one who brags is merely proving he is really in love with himself. By the way, this word is used nowhere else in the New Testament. It refers to one who talks a lot about him or herself. This person is in love with their own image. This person is so in love with themselves, they are the content of every conversation. And they never run out of material because they are so full of themselves. That's not true love. You say, well, I'm not a boaster. Do you recognize that you can still be the content of every conversation when every conversation is merely about your woes and challenges in life? It's not just shining a light on yourself and how great you are, it is also shining a light on yourself and always making sure everybody knows every facet of your existence. We can't be full of ourselves and full of love. There just isn't room for both. Love does not boast, 1 Corinthians 13 says, and is not arrogant. Those two things are kind of linked together, no doubt about it. Love is not an arrogant thing. It doesn't have an air of superiority. It doesn't have inflated ideas of his own self. One old commentator said, arrogant people think they're better than other people. They think they know more than they actually do. They consider themselves holier than others and imagine themselves more gifted than they really are. They're blind to their own glaring sins, personal weaknesses, and doctrinal errors. That's not how love acts. You understand that a church should be exhibiting this. This should be a museum where people see kindness and long-suffering natures and no arrogance And no boasting, it does not behave itself unseemly, Paul writes. There's no rudeness in it. It doesn't behave itself indecently. It is uncommon to see this kind of courtesy to exist in the world. Those who are considerate of how their behavior affects other people, even in little things, politeness. I think perhaps we most destroy what is the expectation of this when we constantly share our opinion. I said this in the early service. I had to back up so I didn't say it and desecrate the pulpit. But some of the best advice most people can receive is, shut up. See, now, I was not in that. That's like the crease on a hockey goal. I'm out of the crease. No penalty here. If I was in there, it's a penalty. Some people need to shut up. You say, Pastor, my kid's in the room. You've just taught them something. They've been watching you a lot closer than they're watching me. And let's be honest, they're not listening right now. You haven't been until I said those two words, which is why I did it. Even in sharing our opinion, what we don't recognize is even in little things, we are not polite, we are rude, we're indecent, and we affect people. Politeness, consideration, this is becoming all the more uncommon. But love does not behave itself in an unseemly fashion. It doesn't seek her own, doesn't insist on its own way. Paul said of himself, if I were to paraphrase it, I try to please everyone in everything that I do. I don't try to seek out my own way. That, that I try to seek the way of many so that they'll see Jesus. Another wrote, there are two kinds of people in this regard. There are those who insist on their own privileges and those who remember their own responsibilities. True love does not seek to get its own way. It's an uncommon concern for others. It's the pursuit of another's blessing. And this has practical fallout. This falls out in a church parking lot or in a church auditorium when people take your seat. And no one takes the front row's which is devastating to me. In the next building, I'm going to try to find ways to not have back rows so people come to the front rows, but no matter what the back row is, even if it's only three deep, you're sitting there first. I understand. Someday we're going to have an auditorium in the round when we're really big and I'm super important and you'll want to be down front near me. You'll want to smell my cologne. That's how close you'll want to be. Listen, I believe that churches show out the love of Christ when they have genuine concern for others' well being, for others' blessing before their own. They want the best for other people. That's what this is. It is not easily provoked. That's what Paul says. It doesn't give in to a fit of anger. It doesn't explode. It takes two people to have a provocation. And the Apostle Paul says, refuse to be the other party. Stand by and watch them burn. Refuse to be the other party. Love like this is not easily provoked. This isn't amazing self-control, by the way. It's christ control." This isn't amazingly putting willpower in and keeping your mouth shut. This is submission to the Holy Spirit. It's just not easily provoked. It can take a slap and not slap back. It can watch somebody burn and listen and not burn and shout back. It's not easily provoked. Listen, this kind of love is not difficult, it's impossible. This isn't changing your experience. This isn't adapting your personality. This isn't testing your macho nature. This is saying, just be like Jesus was. How stunning is it that Jesus went into the hall, the hall of judgment with the Pharisees and they smacked him and said, prophesy and tell us who it is that smacked you. I'm not being flippant here. Jesus literally knew every strand of their DNA. With a mere thought, he could have stopped their heart from beating and they would drop to the ground dead. He knew their backstory. He could have killed everyone in their family all around the globe, but silently he took the abuse. And then when the Bible says, now you be humble like Jesus, let that sink in. Because if someone smacked me in that regard and I had the power to take their breath from them, imagine Darth Vader on an epic level. They're getting air choked. I'm choking them out and I'm letting them know, this is me doing this to you. And I'm looking around the room so that everybody else understands. I can do this to everyone. Jesus silently took it. What? Love. 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 For you, love for me. Love because he is the source of pure love. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. Love doesn't take wrong suffered into account. That's an accounting word. Resentment and bitterness has an amazing memory, doesn't it? I can remember how you looked when you said that to me. I can remember what you were wearing. I can remember where we were, I can remember the time of day, I remember it, and when I remember it, I dredge up all of the emotions that I felt then. True love just blows that away. One author wrote, one of the fine arts in life is to learn what to forget. Everyone has had to struggle with forgiveness. Everyone has had to let go of bad memories and give up any desire or imagination of revenge and true love like this refuses the natural desire to write stuff down and keep it forever. And I'm not saying just go and throw it in the trash. I'm saying abide in Christ, submit to the Spirit, and this will produce fruit in your life that resembles this. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love does not delight in anything wrong, but it rejoices in the truth. Wherever the truth is, love is genuinely happy. Which means if love is in us, we want the gospel message to get out. If love is in us, we want others to align their life with the truth of Christ's word. And we'll live in that. Light and in accordance with that truth. Love bears all things. It lends a hand. Shares the burden. Joins with a person under the pressure of life. Puts a shoulder in to help them carry the load. It believes all things. I think this is so important. Gives people the benefit of the doubt. We have gotten so far beyond that. We live, as one said, in the accusative and the negative sense. I'm already accusing you before you even open your mouth. You walk up to say something to me, and my response is probably something like this, what now? If my response to you is what now, and you say something like, I just wanted to give you this Starbucks gift card, I'll take it, and I'll say thank you, and then I'll say as you open your mouth, what now? I live in that sense. But true love believeth all things. Takes people at face value. Hate believes the worst. Love believes the best. Eagerly believe the best. Hopes all things. Never takes anyone's failure as final. There's something really encouraging about this kind of person. And there are too few of them on the planet. We all know some of them, right? Just believe the best in everything and everyone. They're full of the sweetness of this kind of love. But our nature gets hung up on the past. True love chooses to focus on hopeful things. That's what the apostle says again. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Live in this regard. Love endures all things. The word endure is interesting in the Greek. It carries the idea of a soldier who is on the front line who refuses to vacate his post. The Bible tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And what we're learning here is there's no quit in this kind of love. Even in the worst circumstances, this love shines through. All that we have done is say in the beginning of this study, we have to bear this fruit. Again, I'm not exhorting you to put work in. I'm exhorting you to submit to the Spirit, to say no to the natural man, to walk in the Spirit, and to bear this fruit. And then we look at this list, and we can say whether this is evident in our lives or not. It's not natural. It's intentional. And we have to have this for the gospel to be potent. If someone were to ask you this morning, how do I know that you're a Christian? You might say, well... In addition to the fact that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, walk with me. And if you walk with me for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks or a few months, what you will see is love in my life. Because that is what the New Testament teaches. It's how our salvation is put on display. We attach no conditions to it. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how you treat me. I keep on loving, I keep on forgiving, I keep on forgetting, I keep on praying, I don't hold grudges, I refuse to not get over it, this kind of love transforms you, your family, your church, the potency of the gospel message, there's no better evangelism than this, now all through this chapter, and I really do wish we had time to unpack the whole thing, Paul is intensely practical. In fact, in verse 25, he says it very plainly. If we live in the Spirit, if we are believers, then let us also walk in the Spirit. If we have salvation in Christ, let's walk like we are children of Christ. In verse 16, he says this. Walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit... You won't give in to the lust of the flesh. You will bear this fruit. You must submit. You must be under the influence of the Spirit at all times. The original Greek conveys real strength. In effect, it says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you walk in Christ, you won't explode. If you explode, what does it indicate? I'm giving in to me. It's such a stark contrast. You say, well, yeah, the flesh is strong. Yes, it is. Paul himself said that in verse 17. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Paul says, and he says it really clearly in Romans 7, you can know what to do And the flesh in you is so strong that even knowing what to do, you don't do it. There is a war inside of you. The spirit versus the flesh. But here's the thing. It's not a battle that ends in stagnation. The spirit is always victorious. The spirit is always stronger. If we will yield ourselves to the spirit. Yield ourselves, not choose to go under the influence of the flesh, but under the influence, under the submission of, obedient to the Spirit, this is the fruit in our lives. We love like Jesus loved. I wish that there were several things that I could do to just prove that I was a Christian. I wish just showing up for church proved it. I wish that just standing in the pulpit proved it. The fact is, I've got a love like this to show it out. And in order to do that, I've got to reject, I've got to renounce myself, and I've got to put on the clothes. I've got to submit to the Spirit, and that's the analogy. The old man is present. He says, take it off and put on the new man. That is an intentional act. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and bear this fruit. Would you please just for a moment bow your heads with me?